0: Session with Dr. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadid Holakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in: 310-441. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call on with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, studio number 310441 zero five 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 so i'm going to start the show with a book review for this past week um, but before i even announce the next book i wanted to thank again reza Safai, who joined me on monday night's show uh, you can check him out in the new movie the persian connection the premiere is this friday in uh, the los angeles area at the lamely aria theater uh, la cienega and wilshire around that area so if you're in the la area go check it out and if not you can look for it playing soon whether it's on cable or in some select theater so that's the persian connection but a big thanks to him for being on the show this past monday Uh, let me announce the book for this week it is the confidence game by maria konikova the confidence game why we fall for it every time so looking at how people and all of us can be susceptible to being tricked by confidence men, or it could be women, or what we tend to call con man, uh, is, comes from this term, the confidence man. Someone who can trick us, gain our trust, and then um, take advantage of us. And of course, it doesn't just happen in financial types of ways, it could happen in other ways as well. And I started the book so far, it's a pretty interesting read, so hopefully you'll join me in reading that book, The Confidence Game, by Maria Konikova. I'll post a picture of that later today. Um, the book for this past week, though, was Why Do I Do That by Joseph Burgo. Why Do I Do That? Psychological Defense Mechanisms and the Hidden Ways They Shape Our Lives. And this book was recommended to me, and actually, I just recommended to me, gifted to me by uh, Sahand and Puya, two very kind individuals who I get to see on Thursdays when I go to School on Wheels on Skid Row, and they're always there being loving towards the kids and um, very often bringing them a snack that they always are excited about. And they gave me this book and said it was interesting and they were right. And I really did enjoy reading this book, Looking at Our Defense Mechanisms. And the author, Joseph Burgo does a really good job of describing the different defense mechanisms, but then illustrating them with case examples from his own private practice, or also just everyday examples or even pop culture examples in movies that might be even easier for us to recognize. And when you read a book like this, looking at defense mechanisms and why we might do some of the things we do, it always it was a reminder of how complex we really are, and how you might look at something you do or something that someone else does, and just look at it on the surface. But this book invites you to recognize very often and almost always there's something deeper going on and it helps you look at that. Um, And something we do in therapy is help people uncover some of maybe what their defenses might be, what they might be expressing through their behavior, their actions, their relationships. And this book does a good job of allowing you to play analyst or therapist to yourself to get a better understanding of yourself and why you might be doing some of the things that you do. Because as he describes, we tend to do the same types of defenses in our lives. So you might use any of them at some point in your life, but more than likely there are some that you tend to turn to or go to more often than not. Now I say turn to, but that does bring up this issue of that defense mechanisms are something we employ unconsciously. So you can't purposefully do these things on a conscious level. These are things that you unconsciously will be doing. So what are some examples of defense mechanisms? I won't be able to go through every one that he describes in the book, but I'll go through a few of them so we get an idea of what we're talking about. So one is displacement. Now, displacement is essentially when we have feelings about someone or something and we instead direct them towards someone else. The classic example we sometimes hear is a man or woman goes to work, and their boss gets mad at them, but because they feel like they can't get mad back at the boss, and they're angry, when they come home, they take it out on their partner, and then their partner doesn't want to take it back out on their spouse, so they take it out on the kid, and now the kid is upset, and the kid, instead of being able to get mad at their parent, takes it out on the dog, and so we keep you know passing on those emotions but the dip- displacement is when you feel something for someone or something else but you turn it towards someone else because it's easier or safer an example he gave in the book that i found really interesting was about new uh, mothers and fathers of newborns now when you have a newborn it's an incredibly stressful time you have to wake up in the middle of the night there's constantly something to do Uh, Lack of sleep gets in the way, a change in your schedule and all sorts of things make it a very stressful situation. Now he described how a mother might wake up in the middle of the night and go tend to her baby who's crying, feed the baby and put the baby back to sleep and have all these feelings of love, pure love for their baby. And they come back to sleep and they wake up again in the middle of the night and again with pure love that they feel they go towards the baby. And after a while, they realize they're having this anger towards their husband who's laying there sleeping and saying, gosh, he's so lucky he doesn't have to wake up in the middle of the night, think how rested he's going to feel tomorrow and how tired I am tomorrow. And I have to wake up because I have to wake up and feed my baby because we're breastfeeding and whatever else you might be thinking. But she has all this anger towards him. Now, what he mentions, and some people might even not like hearing this, is that What is actually happening to some degree is that the mother, although she thinks she only loves her child, also does have some anger towards her child. Not that the child is doing anything intentionally to hurt the mom, but that it is very stressful and difficult to raise a dependent baby, a baby who fully needs you and needs you in the middle of the night and is disrupting your uh, comfortable life that you are used to. And most moms might not want to hear that to think that, well, it's actually quite natural for mothers to have some angry feelings towards the infant for what they're experiencing. But this is very likely true. And because you don't feel that it's okay to be angry at your child because, oh, it's a baby and it's I'm a mother and all I'm supposed to feel is love for my newborn baby, we direct it towards the husband who it's much easier to get upset with and we can accept that we're angry with him, but it would be unacceptable for us to think we're angry with our baby. And as he actually puts it, he thinks one of the roles of a newborn or the father of a newborn is actually to take on some of the anger of the mo- mother, to be ready for that, that that is something that's likely going to gonna happen. Now, the awareness for the mother can make her realize what's going on. And potentially allow her to behave differently or react differently. But again, here we see the complexity of human experience that you might actually be mad at your baby, which seems a little bit strange, but we have to accept that that's okay and expect it. And doesn't mean you're going to take any of that anger out on the baby, but you can understand because of the difficulty of what you're going through, what you experience, and you're feeling upset, and now you're taking it out on your husband. So we can see here that what we're doing is much more complex than we realize. And it's more complex than we realize because we're unconscious of what we're doing. Again, a defense mechanism is something that we use unconsciously. We're not aware that we're doing it. Because if you were aware that you were doing it, it wouldn't work. It only works unconsciously. And that's why even if someone mentions it to us, it can be hard for us to recognize it because we'll say, oh no, what are you talking about? How can I be mad at my baby? No, my husband is just laying there and It's making me pissed off. I'm getting angry about that. I have nothing but love for my baby. But, you know, it's much more complicated than that. And as he puts it, we use the defense mechanisms to avoid pain in some way. All of them are used to avoid some kind of pain, whether it's we can't accept the way we're feeling or in the case of something like denial, we don't want to accept some truth. The classic example of denial is someone who can tell their husband or wife is probably having an affair. There's all these signs, but it's just too painful for them to accept it. So they don't want to see it, or they unconsciously can convince themselves otherwise. But once they actually come to see it, once it becomes too much to keep unconscious or too much to deny, they likely say the signs were there all along. And you've probably heard that before. Someone says... How could I have not seen it? Well, it's because they didn't want to see it or they felt like they couldn't see it or they couldn't handle it. And because of that, they didn't see what was actually going on and they stayed in denial. Other defense mechanisms we use are things like rationalization. We are very good at kidding ourselves or convincing ourselves of something. I think human beings are amazing at that. Take someone who has a drug addiction. They haven't used for a while and then all of a sudden they can tell themselves something like you know what I haven't used for three weeks and it's my friend's birthday it makes sense for me to drink tonight I have to drink and this shows me how strong I am that I can drink now they know that they definitely should not risk drinking and it's a bad idea but the rationalization that they can do convince can convince them otherwise and they make that bad decision and there they are again Another example uh, that he uses related to rationalization is when people are on a diet. They say things like, oh, you know, I I can't deprive myself forever. I should just have this and then I'll start new tomorrow. And it's better to have a fresh start on a Monday morning rather than start now. So let me enjoy the weekend. Or I've had a hard day, so I deserve to do this or that. And we can rationalize far worse behaviors than just breaking a diet But that shows us, again, the power that we have to convince ourselves of things that unfortunately harm us in the long run. And what this book aims to do, and I think I really appreciate it in reading it, is to give ourselves a more realistic look at ourselves. And he has exercises throughout the book and ways we can um, try to really look at ourselves and do some self-reflection to better understand, well, what is it that I do and why do I do those things that I do? Thus the title of the book, Why Do I Do That?, Why do I end up doing these same things that I have a hard time understanding, but that are hurting myself? And in a way, it allows us to play therapist towards ourselves, to understand ourselves better and the people around us. Now, not that we should use it to then analyze people around us and try to judge them, but rather to understand them better. So we understand our partner. Okay, when my partner says this or does that, what might be going on? what's the deeper level um, thing that he or she might be expressing to me that maybe they don't even know themselves. And I also appreciate in the book that he, I think, paints a realistic picture of human beings, that no matter who you are, you're going to feel a whole range of emotions, even for loved ones. We sometimes think, okay, if I'm You know, dating someone, now I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or even our husband or wife, I should only have positive feelings for them. It should be pure love, and I can never be angry or rageful towards them. That's unacceptable. That's not okay. Or that shows that there's something wrong with me, or with my partner, or our relationship. But none of those things are true, even in the course of a healthy relationship. It brings up so many intense feelings, and there's so much that is going on that you're going to feel all sorts of things towards your partner, and that's okay. And we shouldn't think that, well, now that I feel this extreme rage towards my partner, that means the relationship is over, or that we're not right for each other, or something's wrong with me. I'm crazy. But that, accept that this is just a part of the process of getting to be in a relationship and of being human, and we have to accept that. And he even talks about his own experience of he's been in therapy for years and he's he feels that he's grown a lot, but he knows that he still deals with some of the same things and he still employs these defense mechanisms and he sees himself slipping up here and there or maybe even all the time because that's part of being human and that's something we have to accept. And if we don't have this realistic understanding of who we are and what we can expect from ourselves and the people around us, we end up. Hurting ourselves, hurting our relationships, and also because we feel like we can't, let's say, feel a certain emotion, we're more than like, more likely going to use these defense mechanisms to actually not feel what we're feeling. But when we say it's okay for me to be angry at my child, it's okay for me to even feel like I hate my husband right now. That's okay if it's in that moment we can feel that way. We have a much better connection to ourselves and a much healthier emotional life. And also, it's important for us to recognize that our emotions will pass, as he talks about in this book. You might feel something really intense, but it doesn't mean, for example, you need to turn to drugs or alcohol to distract you or take that feeling away. Uh, You don't always have to be happy, as he mentions in the book. We have to accept that life includes a whole range of emotions, from sad, angry, jealousy, envy, and the whole gamut of human emotions, and you're going to feel them at some time. But the good news is none of the feelings last forever they stay for a while and they go and if we have that relationship with our emotions we're much more likely to have a healthy relationship with what we're feeling and feel less of a need to not allow something to come into our conscious awareness so I highly recommend this book why do I do that by Joseph burgo it was a good read and I felt that he does a good job of describing human behavior and human nature and the ways that we use different defense mechanisms to ward off pain and ward off feelings and thoughts that we think are unacceptable and to try to better understand ourselves. So hopefully, uh, if you haven't read it, you'll check that book out. Again, a big thanks to Puya and Sahand for recommending that book to me. And the book for this week, The Confidence Game by Maria Konnikova. Hopefully, you'll join me in reading that, and I'll talk about that on Monday's show. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Atulakou. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Hi,
1: I'm a 14-year-old girl from Norway, and I was wondering if I could get some advice about some issues that I've been having.
0: Absolutely, it would be my pleasure. Thank you uh, so much for calling. I'm guessing it's nighttime there, right? Uh, No, it's uh, 9 o'clock. It's 9 o'clock, and I guess in Norway, you guys have, in the summer, the sun is out until pretty late, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yes. I'm so happy that you called. Um, Let me know what you have in mind.
1: Okay. So I uh, am 14 and Mm -hmm. I've had some issues with accepting how I look and with myself for about over six months. Hmm. And during this time, I've had some like issues and problems for, like, about two months ago, uh, I took some actions about how I looked, and um, um, everything, every time I ate something unhealthy, I made myself throw up.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: this didn't uh, last that long, ago uh, I talked with my dad, and as a doctor, he told me about, like, the effects and how that is a very bad way to be healthy or it's not a good way so i stopped with that but still to, to say i had very many issues with how i look and i punish myself by uh, like training so whenever I eat anything unhealthy i have to force myself to train which is not a healthy way or however my, my mother thinks this is a very unhealthy way to kind of be because i'm seeing myself uh, in a way that it's kind of a forceful way, and not something that I would uh, normally do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, and I think a very big influence is like social media and like my friends at school, and like just like the society in general being like that you have to look a certain way, and I don't. But like, uh, I'm like normal weight. I'm like. 160 centimeters in height and like uh, 55 kilos, meaning I'm like an average person, but mm-hmm. in my head, I don't look average or I, I think I look fat. And mm-hmm. it, this is something I've been struggling with for about six months now.
0: Well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that because it sounds like it's been, I'm sure it's been a difficult six months and there's a lot for us uh, to talk about. So, to begin with what you're talking about with the you said you would eat something unhealthy and then you would force yourself to vomit. That's what we would call bulimia, although a lot of times it's not just eating something unhealthy. We talk about binging and purging. That would be eating a large amount of something, usually unhealthy, and then using vomiting to get rid of it. Although you mentioned, uh, you said training, and I'm sure for us we usually we will say exercising, and I think that's probably what you m- mean. Um, you'd say you'd eat and then you'd exercise. That actually is another form of, of bulimia, or it can be another way that it could be expressed, where people eat either something unhealthy or they eat large amounts, and then they do excessive exercise um, as a way to try to compensate. So that's the way they try to purge. So although you're not vomiting, which I'm glad you're not, because that can be very, very unhealthy um, in a lot of for a lot of reasons. So that's you know that's not good. But the excessive exercise tells us you're still. In a way, doing the same thing as far as the bulimia. So it's, you can even look it up yourself. Bulimia nervosa. Maybe you already have. Um, but exercise is another way that people um, can use that to purge, as along with things like laxatives and, and other things as well. Now, something else you mentioned that's very common with eating disorders is you mentioned that although your weight is in the normal range and you look pretty normal to your in your own mind you feel very overweight and even use words like fat which um is an indication of what we call uh, a distorted body image which means that you see your self differently than what is really how you look which is very common in eating disorders so it seems like that's something you have that range of of things that is going on and you talked about the media and absolutely we know that the media plays a big part in Um, creating people or contributing to people being unhappy about how they look and having unrealistic expectations of how they should look or how they want to look, which can contribute to what you are experiencing. And social media has definitely contributed to that where there's so much more of it. And and especially teenagers are being exposed to much more than they probably used to be um, and seeing these types of idealized and oftentimes not even realistic because of things like Photoshop and airbrushing and touching these photos up and filters and all of that. But nonetheless, there's a a lot to be said about that. My concern also, though, is how your family um, has contributed to this or might be dealing with this, because we know that the family can play a big role in the development of eating disorders. So for yourself, how would you say your mom and dad in general have, have looked at weight appearance and especially when it comes to you um, your appearance
1: uh, so um, I've never actually like uh, heard my mom or dad like say anything about me or I dad, also sister about how we look or mm-hmm. our weight but the thing is that I don't think um, as yeah, my my mom uh Oh, Like, we have talked a lot since I told her about uh, my actions and making myself throw up. We have talked a lot, and she's tried to help me a lot. And it has come out like a pretty, like, I understand a lot more now. Huh? The thing is that I kind of set myself under the six goals, which just, yeah, I'm like, I won't will never eat unhealthy ever again but that's kind of something that doesn't happen Mm and but i don't actually think this has uh, a lot of effects actually from my parents because um they're very like um, very supportive you could say because i've actually never had any problem with them and they uh, we never actually eat like we always make homemade food and like my mom and dad are both Persian, so i'm kind of tired of persian food but like <laughs> still i still have to eat it both. Uh-huh. so i would say we're kind of like a pretty healthy family there for like if you think of it in that way uh-huh. so, okay. yeah
0: well i'm glad you you're saying you don't feel a pressure from them or um uh you know them emphasizing appearance Lots of cultures, of course, do it. In the Iranian culture, we can put a lot of emphasis on how people look and dress and, um, you know, all Mm -hmm. those types of things and too much and not recognize the person as a whole being. And especially we put more of that pressure on women than men or on girls than boys because we think their appearance is more important and so they put more pressure on that. Now, you're saying you don't feel that from them? And I hope that's true. And even, you know, I want you to think about even if they're saying it about other people. So even if it's not about your sister or yourself, but they emphasize how other people look, whether it's in the media or just people that they know, but something to keep an eye on. But you talked, you know, the way you're describing some of the ways you think about things, a lot of things are very black and white, which is common with something like bulimia, like either, um, you know, I want to eat those unhealthy foods, or I'm never going to eat them again in my life. Or these types of foods are just bad, so I should never want them, where maybe it's more healthy to recognize that, well, sometimes I'll have some other types of junk food or not so healthy food, but it doesn't make me bad or a very bad thing um, to do. And also you're talking about perfectionism, where you have to, you put this, you're saying yourself, this high standard to be perfect, to be all good and to never make mistakes. And with that comes this feeling of shame when you think you have made a mistake or you did something wrong, or I'm assuming you're very, very hard on yourself when you do something mm-hmm. that you consider bad or not good is that yeah. is, do you feel like you're very hard on yourself? uh
1: yeah, and I always feel very guilty mm. and I don't like do what I was like expecting myself to do yeah. and like mm, like some days ago, I just ate some popcorn and I that made me feel really bad so I mm. uh, like went and like exercised like an hour later or so. And yeah. that's like whenever anything like that happened, I kind of like forced myself to yeah, exercise and
0: mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, and obviously exercise itself is not a bad thing, but the way you're describing the pattern that it's coming from this oh, I ate something bad, I have to work out now to get rid of the calories or the bad things I ate, that compulsion, that feeling we don't want you to have because that's telling us something bigger is going on. And this is an example of when we, you know, usually we think of exercise as a good thing and no one worries about it. But in the case of bulimia or even people with anorexia can be doing that too. And with eating disorders, they they do it. It can be sometimes excessive and also it feels like a compulsion, like I have to do it or else something bad happens or it's to make up for the bad thing that I did. Um, you know, you said your parents don't put a lot of pressure when it comes to appearance or they don't make that a big deal. What about in other aspects of your life? Let's say, for example, when it comes to school.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah uh, so from school, I do get actually a lot of pressure even though nobody, like, like there's nobody actually telling me that you look this way or you look fat, but uh, I have, like, one girl in my class which she's like smaller than me she's a very petite girl and uh when one day she said she looked fat and when somebody that is smaller than me said she's fat that just made me feel kind of worse Mm -hmm. so then i was like oh well if she thinks she's fat then i of course i'm fat because like that little girl can't be fat so Mm -hmm. meaning that i am fat and those are things that like I do in school, or like um, some of my friends, which are smaller than me, or saying like, "Oh, I have big size." Well, I have bigger size than them. Then I think, well, if they have big size, then then I have very big size. Mm-hmm. Which means that I'm
0: fat. Yeah. So seeing them comparing yourself to them, but then also hearing them complain about themselves makes you feel worse about yourself or judge yourself negatively and yeah maybe they're feeling that pressure from outside and from media to look a certain way and you know actually i'm glad you said that my question is actually more related when it comes to your school work like academics do your parents put oh, a lot of pressure on you in that area oh
1: no. Uh, d- no i think that uh, i'm very uh, like efficient kind of i like to i really do like school and i do my schoolwork, and I get very good grades, if you say so, but things that there's no actually pressure on me uh, or my sister in that way to get good grades, and we actually do get rewarded if we, like, a whole semester, if we've gotten really good grades, they reward us, but they never we're actually say anything if we get badly to say, well, how could you improve, which is, I think, a very uh, kind of good way.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, that is a good way. I, I would agree with you. And I'm happy to hear you're saying. You feel like they don't put a pressure on you. And maybe you feel like you put all the pressure on yourself when it comes to school or when it comes to your appearance. I'm happy to hear that. Usually there's some kind of pressure coming from the family that's contributing to what you're talking about. But what we'll do is we're, we're at a commercial break. So after the commercial break, I want to talk to you a little bit more. Also, maybe even if you know about your family history, if they have anything related to eating disorders or depression in the family, and then also talk a bit more about some things that you can do. How does that sound?
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay, great. So just hold on. We'll talk after the break.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Thank you. All right. You're listening to in session with Dr. Fadi Talaqui. We will be right back. Back before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to her. Caller, are you still there? Yeah, hello? Okay, yes. Hi. Um, So, we were talking before the break about some of the things you're dealing with, and uh, you were mentioning how your parents tend to not put pressure on you or you feel that way related to what you're dealing with, which I'm very happy to hear about. But looking also at your parents and your background, do you know of anyone in your family who either has dealt with an eating disorder whether it's anorexia or bulimia or things like depression do you know about that?
1: Yeah uh, I just passed to my mom mm-hmm. and nobody dealt, uh, had any like eating disorders mm-hmm. in our family however uh, the like my grandparents did have like a very minor depression or like it was very mild but uh, that's Most of it or anything that is known to my
0: parents. Okay. Um, Okay, thank you for sharing that. There can be some connection with depression. Another thing about eating disorders is that oftentimes people hide it, especially something like bulimia. Uh, Anorexia, sometimes someone might even be more open about it because they can feel proud about how much they're restricting. But very often people who have bulimia don't tell anyone about it. So it's possible someone in your family has dealt with it, but no one knew. But as far as you know, um, there isn't anyone that has been dealing with with an eating disorder. Okay. Um, And, you know, so we've been talking a lot about the pressure it seems like you feel you've just put on yourself. No one is putting from outside of you. And another thing we see with people who are dealing very often with eating disorders are issues related to self-esteem and how they feel about themselves. So this feeling that I have to look good or be good or do good things or else i'm not really worth so much just as myself like i don't value myself enough when it comes to how you think you you look at yourself and view yourself how do you how do you think you you feel about yourself Uh,
1: well i don't like how i look Hmm. i have like there's some parts that i like if eyes very much and there's other parts where I'm like totally fine but it is like if I ever were to like look in the mirror or anybody tells me that oh you look nice today I would like 100% think that they are not telling the truth or somewhat just like saying that to make me feel better hmm. because I really do strongly believe that I don't I'm not like I, or, like, I think I'm, like, not
0: overweight, but, like, I look fat, which kind of is the same thing, but, uh, yeah. I see. Yeah, well, so, and it's interesting is I was asking how you feel about yourself, and the first thing you went to was appearance and, and weight, it seems like. Um, and people who are dealing with eating disorders, they can almost become obsessed with that, and that's the only thing they see, and it's the only thing maybe you think people see when they see you or think about you. Um, but I was also thinking other things about just yourself in general. How do you feel about yourself? Let's take appearance out of it. What else do you, about yourself do you like or maybe dislike? Uh,
1: well, I'm quite a, like a positive person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I can also be very tough bossy, which I don't know if I like because the thing is that I'm not sure if it's a good or bad thing.
0: By the way, can you speak a little bit louder? It's a little bit hard to hear you.
1: Yeah. Uh, so um, I, am all, you. I think I also am very bossy, which I don't know if <laughs> it's a good or bad
0: thing. <laughs> uh, <which> is... <laughs> well, that word, you know, it, what you're saying bossy, it makes me think of um, a feeling of control. And when we talk about eating disorders, control is a big part of what we're looking at. Sometimes maybe feeling out of control and because of that feeling like you want to have control of, everything else you can um, control and get your hands on or or to control in that way and I'm sure you're I'm not really doubting that you're a wonderful girl and a great person I was just curious to see how you feel about yourself and it seems like it's it's okay you it's not this very strong feeling of love that I would hope you have even more self-love for yourself because a big part of eating disorders is self-esteem and that feeling that your weight defines you that's another thing that happens unfortunately so if you lose weight you're good and lovable but if you gain weight you're bad and ugly and all sorts of other bad things might come to your mind now another thing that we want to be aware of is sometimes with something like what you're dealing with the the weight becomes this way of looking at things that doesn't make you have to look at what's deeper inside and by that I mean you say, oh, you know, I don't like myself very much because of my weight. That makes me bad. But sometimes we, it reflects it within ourselves we don't feel very good about ourselves. So that you might not feel good about you, but you can blame it on the weight. Does that make sense? Mm.
2: Uh, kind
0: of. Okay, yeah, I know it's a little bit complicated, but it's a way that we can... For example, science people say, oh, you know, if I just made more money, I would be happy and love myself more. But then they find that when they make more money, they still feel the same way about themselves because what they're actually feeling is something deeper. It's deeper than just this surface thing. And so what you're dealing with, although I think you're you're very focused and even obsessed with the weight, and that is important, and that's obviously a big aspect of what's going on, I think it also reflects something deeper going on with your your self esteem and how you feel about yourself in general, on a deeper level.
2: Mm.
0: And so, because yeah. of that, what I would say is, and also just because of what you're dealing with, I wanted to ask you: Are you going to therapy, or have you talked to a psychologist?
1: Uh, no, but uh, I have, um, like, at school, I've talked to the nurse there for there were like we've talked for like maybe six or seven sessions like about uh how I feel and how I'm doing but Mm -hmm. I kind of just stopped doing that because I didn't really feel like I was going anywhere with it because uh, it was more of like uh just checking off on me and Mm -hmm. I just kind of more needed like and like advice to like what to do or how to get over because i have very many thoughts about like oh i should do this or i think it's very many like the thoughts that are kind of keeping me back or like keeping me from like actually liking who i am or Mm.
4: accepting myself
1: yeah
0: yeah and i think that's that's you know it's, it's good that you were able to talk to the nurse and maybe that could have been helpful but i think what you're dealing with is much bigger than that and you need to give yourself even more help than that Um, because figuring out ways to you know diet or lose weight to me is more of a distraction than really focusing on the deeper issue of how you feel about yourself your self-worth and self-esteem and even these types of negative thoughts or shame that you might be having especially the black and white thoughts that get you into a lot of trouble because as soon as you make it if I do this, I'm good. If I do that, I'm bad. And especially it's something that you're probably going to do, then you're going to keep disappointing yourself and being hard on yourself. So, I'm kind of surprised that your parents didn't want to take you to a psychologist. Did they ever bring that up with you?
1: Yeah, my mom asked if I good. wanted to go, but I just, I I always, like, denied that it was actually like it. I still believe that, like, my like, it, this is I just believe that if you did the actions, that it wasn't a mental thing, but I've come to realize that it is, but I, like, disagreed whenever my mom says that having or taking action on, like, if for what you eat, that is something, like, mentally and not only physically.
2: Uh-huh. Um,
1: and my mom mentioned going to, like... Uh, not a therapist for like talking to somebody uh, but i denied it and i didn't want to go because mm-hmm. uh, i didn't feel like comfortable talking to somebody i didn't know for like sessions in for like a mm-hmm. weeks
0: well you know it's interesting right when you said that it made me think how do you feel talking to me you don't really know me
1: yeah but that's the thing that uh, it's not something weekly and there's not something that Kind of you're not catching up on me, you're kind of just giving me like advice or That's just like true. talking to me. Yes. Making me like feel like I could just say something now and not having to worry like, oh what am I going to say next week if mm-hmm. I haven't improved, what am I gonna do mm. I kind of have to then lie about it. like, oh yeah, I stopped doing that. Oh, yeah, I have improved on that. Now I don't kinda of have to lie about it Yeah, I
0: why have I have would hope Yeah I don't want you to have to, to lie to me and I'm really enjoying talking to you. Um, But what you just said was interesting because you you feel like, again, you'd put that pressure or assume there's a pressure from the therapist to expect that, okay, you came this time and next week things better be better and you better have made improvements or stopped doing this thing or that thing. But, you know, a good therapist and a good psychologist understands that what you're dealing with is really difficult. And I don't think any psychologist is going to expect that you go once and you're going to totally change the behaviors that you're dealing with. And again, for me, it's less about these behaviors or, you know, those things. They are very important, but more how it reflects something deeper about how you feel about yourself. So I would really hope you go and absolutely our, you know, things like eating definitely have to do with our psychology and our, our mental health and our emotions. And that's definitely what you're, you're going through. It's not just a physical thing or an eating thing. It's definitely a psychological thing. Um, that you're dealing with so I really really hope you would go see someone because you deserve that help because uh, what you're dealing with is too big to think that it's just going to go away and if anything usually issues like this they get worse they don't get better if we don't do something about it a lot of people think oh I'll grow out of it or it'll change or you know it's just a phase but usually it's not that it's much more serious than that and you know now you I'm glad you're not vomiting because that can be very hurtful and even can be deadly when people continue to to vomit but because you're doing the exercise it's still the same pattern just with a different way of doing it and that's telling us you're still struggling in that in that same way so i would highly highly recommend you go and when you do go realize that i hope you really You know, I can understand you're saying that pressure to lie because if you're doing the same things, you say you might not want to tell your therapist because you're going to think you're letting him or her down. But be open with them and know that it's a struggle. You know, most people are dealing with the same types of issues their whole life. And it's just the way it is, you know. So this might be an issue that for the rest of your life, you'll have to keep an eye on or be aware of. And no one should have that expectation, and I hope you don't put it on yourself that it's just going to disappear or it's going to be so easy to get rid of. But I think because of your the black and white thinking and the perfectionism you put on yourself, you already have this expectation. Well, if I go to the therapist, tell them everything, and then next week I come back and I'm still doing the same thing, that's going to be bad, or they're going to be disappointed, or I should be embarrassed or ashamed... But none of that is true. You know, what you're dealing with is very difficult. Millions of people are dealing with the issue you're talking about. And they're all struggling because it's not easy. And no one's going to expect that it's going to be easy for you. But especially, I wouldn't expect it to get easier if you don't get any help. And that's what I really am urging you to do. Yeah. So, talk to your parents. And do you think you would be open to to seeing a therapist? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I do think, but I, um, that uh, I think uh, I would, but it would be like more
2: difficult.
0: Sure. But I think I could try. I I understand it's difficult. You know, I go to a therapist myself every week, and I know that going to therapy is not that easy. It can be tough to go, and and you know, I deal with the same things, and I bring up the same things very often because that's what most people are, are are dealing with. So I understand that it takes some courage. To, to go to therapy, and it can be uncomfortable. Um, but know that it's supposed to feel a little bit uncomfortable because that's part of the growing process. The only way we grow is by becoming uncomfortable. So I'm glad you're realistic in saying that you you know, you know think you'll go, but you're it'll be uncomfortable or it's going to be hard. And I really hope you go, and you can call me back anytime because I've really enjoyed talking to you, and you seem like a very... Um, intelligent girl who understands a lot of things but also one who is i think suffering a lot i feel a lot of pain in what you're talking about and that's why i really hope you get help because i think you deserve it and i i hope uh, you can feel better not just in what you're talking about with the weight but feel better about how you see yourself and feel about yourself because i hope you can just love yourself much much more than i feel you're doing right now because you deserve that
1: yeah,
0: okay, thank you. <laughs> but I wish you all the best, and you know I hope you can call back soon and give me an update on how you're doing. Talk to your parents about that seriously, about seeing someone, and know that it might feel uncomfortable. You might feel like not going, but I hope you'll push through and keep going and know that um, progress takes time, and it's it's supposed to be slow. So don't put too much of an expectation that now that I've started therapy, I have to change immediately. It's going to take time, but I hope you'll do that.
1: Yeah, I'll try
0: for sure. Okay, thank you so much for calling. Call back soon, okay?
1: Thank you so
2: much.
0: All right, have a wonderful night there in Norway. Thanks for calling. You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Tolokwi. back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
4: Uh, Good Good afternoon, Dr. Holacui. Good afternoon. Uh, Dr. Holakui, I have a question. My question is someone has done uh, the worst to me Mm -hmm. by his stupidness and his bad intention. But this person is so close to me.
0: Uh, Uh, Is it a family uh, member? Yes, sir. Okay. Is it a family member?
4: Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> this person is extremely sick, and there is not much hope for his life. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't like to feel guilt after his death. How should I make a closure before his death, even I don't like him and I have a mix of feeling, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, hate, love, relationships, something yeah. like that. But I am extremely oversensitive. I don't want to feel guilt
0: mm-hmm.
4: after his death. What, how should I make a closure before his death?
0: Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty complicated. Now, um, if you don't mind me asking, is this like a father or a brother?
4: Something like
0: that. <laughs> okay, seems like you don't want to say. Okay. Which is up to you. Um, Because especially with father, parents, there's a a different type of bond we have with them. And especially... um, Father. father, Is this your father? Yes. Okay. And the reason why, you know, all relationships, of course, family relationships could be close. But the thing with parents is that we often have this feeling or we always have this feeling of wanting to be loved and accepted by them. And you see it with people who have parents who have hurt them throughout their life, but they seem to keep going back because there's always this hope that maybe it'll be better now. Maybe now my mom or my dad will accept me and love me the way I always wanted them to make me feel. And that can be very difficult to deal with when we're looking at death because then along with a lot of things that you're feeling also is this realization that I can never have that with him. I never can have the type of relationship I wished for or I longed for or I never can get him to feel the way I wanted him to feel about me or show it to me or I can never resolve the difficulties that we had because now he's gone. So there's a lot you know, that you're dealing with when we're looking at um, a father. Now when you say he's, he's hurt you or wronged you throughout your life, did it start in childhood with some type of physical abuse?
4: Physical, emotional, hmm. uh, everything you can ever imagine.
0: Yeah, that, yeah, sounds like a lot of pain there. And you a said, lot of pain. yeah, you said love, hate, and I can understand that. There's a lot of um, anger and hurt you have from what he did to you. Uh, right. And now, as you got older, was your relationship more distant with him, or were you still close? No,
4: distance.
0: Okay. And currently, do you see him as he's? No. No. Okay. Are you in different countries? Uh,
4: yes.
0: Okay. So you just know that his health is taking a turn for the worse and there's not much more hope for his life? Right. Okay. Um, and that's it, it's difficult because you said there's a love hate. So, you, yeah, you, you, you use the word mixed feelings. On one hand, you are going to be sad by his loss and there's sadness sure. there. But then you're also very hurt and angry at him too. And There even could be a sense of relief with him not being here. There could be a lot of feelings, and I don't want you to feel guilty about that. You've been so hurt by him, you might have that feeling come to you. I'm not saying you definitely will, but it's something you might experience. Now, this is where things get very difficult, because very often when we're angry with someone, our hope is, or the most common thing to help us get over, that anger is for them to apologize to us. Right. Now, actually, before I say my next statements, has he ever apologized to you for how he treated you? No, actually, Hmm.
4: he doesn't feel, he doesn't understand, he doesn't appreciate Mm -hmm. that what he has done to me. He has killed me emotionally,
0: Hmm. Dr. Hulakui. I'm so sorry to hear that. yeah, that that's that's difficult to the what you had to bear and the fact that he didn't acknowledge it. Very often people who have been abusive uh, they either deny it or they'll even turn it to say that you're lucky I parented you the way I did. It was good for you or um that was the right way to do things or blame you. You were a bad kid. I had to be that way. None of those things are true, but that's a lot of the the places that people go to kind of justify their own behavior. Unfortunately, very often, kids can do the same thing. Even as adults, they'll um, justify what their parents did to them, saying that, no, it was, uh, for example, I'm the man I am because my father abused me or beat me. So I'm grateful to that. But that's so that we can keep that idealization of them. It seems that you've gone past that and you recognize the hurt that he caused and the bad things that he did. And what you are going to be in a way forced to do, because you're not going to get to have this interaction with him, is that you're going to have to forgive your father um, without having any conversations with him or him acknowledging the pain that he did to you. And that can be very difficult. And I, I'm saying to Paul, or to forgive him, not for his sake, but for your own sake, because you're holding on to this anger towards him and he's not even in your life anymore, but the only person it's hurting is yourself. And actually, even the people around you are going to be affected by that. Uh, are you married and do you have your own kids? Yes. You do. Okay. Um, and I'm sure how he was a father towards you has affected you being a father. More than likely that you didn't want to be anything like him as a father yourself. Right. And I could understand that that's probably something you try to do. Um Now, one thing you yourself said, you you mentioned out of his stupidness, I think, you said something like that. But one thing that can help us in in forgiving someone or in the path towards forgiveness is to recognize or to try to understand where they came from. Right. Um, Do you understand or know much about his own family history or how he grew up?
4: Actually, I know he was coming from hell, Hmm. Dr. Mm Holak. He was coming from hell. I mean, his childhood was a hell.
0: Yeah. So you can, I mean, and probably the way he was raised, um, he probably learned from maybe his own parents or, um, yeah, and so all of this and you know maybe I should preface it by saying this: we're not trying to justify what he did as okay. We're just trying to understand what what led to him becoming the man he was and parenting the way that he was, uh, and not no way denying your pain or the way that he hurt you. But that at times can be helpful to recognize, put yourself almost in his shoes, which might be difficult for you, of, okay, what did he go through? You're describing it as hell, which I'm glad you can acknowledge that. You can recognize he went through a lot of pain. Right. And as you described, even out of ignorance, unfortunately, still parents can feel this way, but especially previous generations and in a lot of cultures, uh, especially for the father, is that you're supposed to be harsh. You have to punish. You have to instill fear. You have to do all these crazy things. These are considered good parenting. And that's probably where he was coming from, coupled with all the pain and damage he had himself. So, you know, we're doing it a little bit here, but you might have to do some um, journeys on your own of putting yourself in his shoes and recognizing that he hurt you out of ignorance and he hurt you out of his own pain, which doesn't mean they didn't leave wounds and scars on you. Um, And you're dealing with them and trying to live with them for the rest of your life, but that he was just he was doing actually as crazy as it can sound the best that he thought he can do or the best he could do at that time. Right. As hurtful as it was Um, and recognizing even, you know, as he must have been so scary and intimidating. And as a little kid seeing uh, your father rageful, I'm sure he seemed like this huge monster. But right. sometimes we can shift the focus and recognize that although he looked like a monster, really he was just a wounded child. Of course, of and, course. And, Dr. Yeah, and it seems like you understand a lot of what I'm talking about, and maybe have even thought about it too, um, which is good. Doesn't mean that it just takes away what you're feeling, but it can be a part of the process. But seeing him as, although he was so scary, he was scared himself. He was a scared child. Of course. Um, now, how are you feeling right now? As we're even talking about all of this,
4: when you talk, I feel much better. Mm. <laughs> you're healing. You have a healing sound and mm. healing knowledge, and I deeply, deeply, deeply appreciate your program. Oh. Your program is wonderful, and I adore it.
0: Oh, you're so kind. Um, I, I appreciate you saying Iranian
4: that. are lucky to have someone like you that Hmm. can all agree. Oh, that's too kind. I'm
0: I'm lucky to be able to to do what I get to do and to talk to to wonderful people like yourself and and hear their story and even in, in sharing your pain I feel more connected to you, which for me is very meaningful. And I'm sorry that you're going through this, but I'm happy that I get to talk to you. Um and you know, so as you're seeing the healing that can happen in this conversation we're having it could be helpful to if you haven't already and especially around his death even if you have to to go back into therapy to talk to someone more at length about about what's going on because this is you know although it seems like you know it's going towards his death there's a good chance that when that happens it could be like an explosion that that could be a big trigger that will release a lot of feelings that you're having within yourself is that something you thought about or something that you're doing
4: no, actually no, but I must do that. Yes. I believe you, sir.
0: Yes, I think it would be a good idea. Um, have you ever been in therapy before?
4: I have been in therapy, good. but, you know, my wounded hmm. is extremely deep. Yeah. And believe me, even though the psychologist was great, uh, she didn't was not able to help me a lot because, not because of her knowledge, not because of her science, because of my wounds, you know, mm. I don't have, my bones have
0: broken, I what i agree. I'm very sorry to hear that. And I hope maybe, you know, and maybe there even isn't such a thing as full healing, but that the pain can become less, or there can be some healing, you know, it doesn't have to be complete. And that's what I would hope for you, really, and what I hope for anyone. So we can never take away the pains you've experienced and make them go away, but we can make them feel slightly better. Even as you're saying, just in our brief conversation, there was a nice feeling that you got. I don't expect in any way that anything I've said is going to completely heal any wound you have. But it could make them hopefully feel slightly better. And I would hope you continue that process with someone because really you you deserve to to have some of that pain at least become less. It's never going to fully go away, but it can become less.
4: Thank you so very much. I wish the best for you. You you. are a wonderful person, wonderful psychologist. I appreciate that. God bless you as well. Well,
0: God bless you too. Do you think you're a wonderful person yourself? Do you feel that you're a wonderful person yourself? No. Why not?
4: <laughs> because my father always told me I
0: was... Yeah, well, but we know that he didn't know what he was talking about. You said it yourself. He was. He went through so much. I, I understand that. And when you're a kid, what your parents tell you, we take that as the truth. You take yes. that as he, they know better than us. They're bigger than us. We want their love. So I understand it. And that shows us again. I mean, I'm always amazed, but... I've seen it so many times, I believe it, that the way we get treated by our parents so young can affect how we feel for the rest of our lives, even as grown-ups and even we can have our own kids. But still, it's hard to change that. And that's why, again, I would hope you go to therapy to see that what your father told you, although I hope logically you can see that it's not true when we talk about it, but on a deep emotional level, it's still there, and only over time... Generally, it can be in other ways, but especially in the therapy process, you can rewrite some of that history, especially the conclusions you made about your history. We can't change the past, but we can change the way we feel, and we can change the conclusions we made about our past. You're not a bad person. You're a wonderful person, as everyone is deserving of love and deserving of care and respect. Unfortunately, you weren't treated that way, and somewhere deep down you believed that that showed that you were unworthy of love even right. from yourself but i would really hope you go in and and you know even the way you're talking to me i can tell that you're someone i think would enjoy therapy in the process of talking to someone and give that opportunity to yourself to heal that the, some of those wounds and to change that way you even think and feel about yourself and and i hope you'll start that process as soon as you can to give yourself that healing that you deserve
4: thank you sir. thank I you really so much for calling your time and god bless you
0: god Bye. bless you to take care of yourself okay you too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Talakoui. to end session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air.
3: Uh, good afternoon, Dr. Tolakwi. Hi, good afternoon. I, I have a question in regards to uh, the uh, elderly adult abuse and also a uh, moral question. Okay. I have a client that I've known him over 20 years and uh, I've known their family and... Uh, uh, he had some feud with uh, his son about three or four years ago, and the son refused to come and see him and uh, his wife or her, his mother. Uh, and last year, the wife passed away, and then uh, the son came back, uh, and the, the husband, the person which is uh, I'm calling about, he was in a very uh, bad emotional situation, and. Uh, So he had a kind of two or three times relapse, I guess. So the son came and took him to uh, one of the uh, senior uh, living centers. He's living there, but uh, the son is refusing to go and see him. But, uh, of course, uh, the father has uh, plenty of money, and he's got the control over everything. And uh, they are paying for uh, his... uh, uh, accommodation and being there. However, uh, and he doesn't have almost nobody except the brother mm-hmm. to go and see him. And uh, I have been going, or I had been going to see him uh, pretty much bi-weekly or sometimes a week or on a special like a Father's Day or Christmas and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the time he... But he's got uh, physically much better and he's now he's making sense when he talks and all that. He's very alert. And uh, the man uh, originally he was a doctor and uh, he's been here in the U.S. since uh, 85, 86. And now... Uh, He's been, the the father has been uh, in a kind of suicidal uh, 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 attitude because nobody sees him, and Mm -hmm. I can understand the place he is. They don't, he cannot communicate with them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And the son also... I was talking to him, and I told him that he's asking me for Valium or anything. He can have it and kill himself. And I said he's not uh, in a good mood, and he wants to go back to his house. So what uh, uh, I am asking is that, uh, number one, is this you think is uh, abuse? And two, do you think I should uh, report this to... Uh, uh, somebody that this is that the son is doing it is refusing to take him home and he has his own money but uh, uh, also the son uh, barred me to go and see him again at that place Mm -hmm. and uh, so
0: well you know I'm not a legal expert but I do in my as a Psychologists have to be aware of elder abuse because it's one of the... uh, I'm a mandated reporter of elder abuse. So if in the course of my sessions with someone, that issue comes up, I have to make a report. So I have awareness of it, but I can't tell you for sure if this is elder abuse or not. Based on what you're saying, it doesn't seem to meet any of the criteria. So in the United States, elder abuse is for individuals over 65 years of age. And there's different ways that elder abuse can occur. For example, physical, so things like hitting, um, slapping, uh, causing some kind of physical harm, or even things like withholding medication or not giving the right medication could be part of that. There can be psychological or emotional abuse. Um, Again, in a lot of these abuses, it just can be with anyone, but... With elder, we can look at it in some different aspects of it, um, but that could be extremely humiliating or putting someone down, yelling, um, you know, doing things that are very hurtful in a psychological or emotional way. Then a very common one that we look at for elderly individuals is financial abuse because people take their money, misuse their money, um, you know trick them into financial investments or different types of things, withhold their money, things of that sort. Now, there's some aspects of that to what you're saying, but you're saying it doesn't seem like that's happening. Um, Sexual abuse can happen for the elderly, and then also there's neglect. And that's maybe what you might be looking at, but that's really more of um, getting their needs met, you know, food, shelter, comfort, Not you're not visiting me enough. That could be more, you mentioned something about a moral issue, Yeah, maybe morally we think it's right for someone to visit or to be more in touch with someone but really to get to the point of neglect it's not just you're not visiting me it's that um you know you're leaving me unattended or you're leaving me in a risky situation or i'm not getting enough food or shelter the things that i need and that's neglect so from what you described in that situation it doesn't seem like it would meet the standards of abuse again i don't know all the details but nothing you told me seems to meet any of those types of requirements or standards. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, does that seem does that seem fair to you? I'm just I'm I want to make sure.
3: Uh, well, he's 86, 87 years old, and but he's uh, in a
0: facility where they take care of him, right?
3: No, I mean the facility is a senior living. Right. A senior living really is very limited, and they I see. are not uh, supposed to provide. Uh, Uh, any medical help, but they are calling doctors and all that. So uh, last time when he called me, he had a cold and runny nose for about a couple of days. And uh, uh, just uh, I thought if a person is working all his life and making some good chunk of uh, retirement money, Mm -hmm. then he deserves to use it. And, uh, but unfortunately.
0: Now, so are you saying he's not allowing him to access his money?
3: Uh, well, I mean, if he goes home, of mm-hmm. course, he. they have to spend maybe just some uh, 30, 40 percent more money, which he has it, and provide him with the, uh, his own home care mm-hmm. with a couple of, uh, 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 companions or uh, right. caregivers uh, or nurses, right. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah. I mean, he, he's he's not entitled to receive any government help because he has the property and he has uh, money in, in the account. But uh, uh, they, they are leaving him in the home, which uh, he, uh, he's, I think, he's, the, the service I'm giving him is under uh, the level. Uh, he can get, and then um, uh, due to that emotional uh, distress uh, being created because of uh, not uh, efficient and sufficient uh, care for him, even if it is luxury, then he's going towards the uh, uh, self- uh, endangerment uh, thoughts and maybe actions.
0: Well, yeah, that, um, and that's concerning. I mean, again, you, know, you mentioned the suicide before. If he's suicidal, that um, is a very big concern, and would require some type of intervention, even he can be hospitalized if he's think you know going to potentially act on his suicidal thoughts. So that's something very serious. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying what the son might be doing might be unfair or wrong. Um, but when we're looking at a legal standard, I, there, I couldn't get something that directly seemed like it was violating any of those standards. Now, I would invite you to look at them yourself, and you know more information, and I know you haven't shared every fact about what's going on. Um, to make sure you, you don't see anywhere where that could be the case. But, you know, there's always a difference between a sad situation and something that's somehow illegal or not okay. Lots of things can be sad, but doesn't necessarily mean something illegal is going on. When it comes to the financial part, or if he's not allowing him to make the decision for himself, if he's saying, I'd like to stay here and I could financially provide for it, but his son... Maybe you think the son is saying, well, I don't want him to waste more of his money or spend more of his money, so I'm going to force him to make this choice. That could be related to the financial aspect of abuse or some type of mistreatment. Um, So if you feel like he doesn't have the choice and he is of sound mind to make a choice for himself, to me that would seem like that's something that could even have a legal basis, but I'm not a lawyer to speak to that part. Now I'm wondering for yourself, you said this person is a client of yours?
3: Yes, he's a client and friend. You know, he okay. has been uh, 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 I've known him over 20 years, mm-hmm. so we became uh, like a friend, and uh, you know, he treats me like his son, and I uh, I, I respect him, and he's very kind. But uh, I just feel uh, uh, sorry for him, and I thought, he, morally, I'm obligated to do something about it, or
0: just uh let it be well you know as far there's there's you know morally as far as like press like you know pressing charges or filing a complaint that is one aspect i know you said you tried to visit him and i would say as long as you're able to take care of yourself and your family and everything then you know you can go um see him or spend time but i would always wonder when you know we look at these situations is there something about him does he remind you of someone for yourself like no no okay
3: no, no, just. I think as a human being, just, uh, he deserves uh, better than this.
0: So, nothing related to a father or grandfather type figure in your own life? No. Okay. He deserve- And then you mentioned about deserving better than this. Is that something yeah. you've ever felt about yourself?
3: Well, I'm thinking uh, about myself, but uh, I don't think my kids would uh, ever do something like that. And mm. uh, you
0: know, you yeah, don't think uh, your kids would leave you the way his son has, is that what you? Mean? No. Okay. No, never, never, never. Okay.
3: I don't think so.
0: Yeah. All right, so that yeah. maybe f- maybe makes you feel good, not for him, but that you feel that comfort yourself, but you feel that's unfair what he's what he's going yeah, just, through.
3: Just about him, yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. I appreciate your time. I appreciate
0: Thank you me. calling. Have a Good great way. day. Bye-bye.
3: Thanks.
0: Okay, let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, hello? Yes, hi. Uh, how
5: are you doing?
0: Good, thanks. Thank you for calling. Uh,
5: my mother wanted me to call you because uh, she's been concerned about uh, my, you know, my mental health and she uh, you know, Okay. In general, especially my people.
0: So she's worried about you, but are are you worried about your mental health? Uh, not at all. <laughs> okay. Well, how about first, t- tell me how old you are. Uh,
5: I'm 16 years old. 16? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay.
0: 16. All right. You sounded a little bit older, actually, I thought I was expecting. Okay. Now, what is it that your mom is concerned about? What does she say are the problems or things she's worried about?
5: She's especially worried about... Uh, me being depressed and um it's not being healthy
0: okay so being depressed and then when you say not being healthy in what ways sort
5: of like um both mentally and just like i guess actively like physically
0: okay well. um all right so now again those are the things you're saying she worries about when it comes to any of those things do you think she has reason to be concerned, or can you see where she's coming from?
5: Yeah, I can definitely see where she's coming from. It's, it's more of like, you know, she's a little. I feel as though she's too concerned uh-huh. about issues, and that while they are problems, they're not. They can be easily fixed.
0: Okay, so when it comes to her being concerned that you're depressed, do you think that you are?
5: Um, I mean. Sort of. To that so, extent, it's, okay. it's not like, constant and, you know, it's just sometimes it feels worse than other days, but I wouldn't go so far as to say it's like I'm clinically depressed
0: and, you mm-hmm. know, I need to be able yeah. yeah. And for me, sometimes the label, you know, I usually don't get too fixated on the label, do you, you know, for sure meet the criteria for depression or not, but I do really care about your experience and what you're feeling because it seems like, You're not saying, oh, I don't know what she's talking about at all, about me being depressed. You notice some feelings or signs of it yourself. You just don't know if it's as serious as she thinks it is. Yeah. Okay. And have you felt like there's been a change? Like, for example, you were feeling better before, but then recently you've gotten depressed? Or is it kind of something you've always felt? I think it's
5: been more recent. Uh, We moved to a new location a couple months ago. And, you know, I think... It was hard at first, but it has been getting better, and, you know, around here I don't
0: have much of a social life, and, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I couldn't, I, I it kind of broke out for a second, did you say a couple weeks ago or a couple years ago? A couple months ago. Months, okay, neither one, okay. <laughs> okay, a couple months ago, okay. And that can be, a, you know, pretty difficult as a 16-year-old coming into a new high school, um... And, and trying to make friends and fit in and all the stuff that you, you have to do. So I'm sure that was a challenge. So do you feel like your your mood, you noticed the change ever since you guys moved?
5: Uh, yeah, definitely. I feel like I'm uh, more quick to anger.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: A lot like my, uh, my father has the same issue where, you know, we're really, our temper isn't that great. And, uh-huh. you know, when we get frustrated, we kind of lash out. Yeah. I feel like. I'm kind of like my father in that way. And since we moved, I feel like it's
0: just gotten worse. Okay. And, you know, um, anger and depression could be very related. A lot of times, especially we see it in in teenagers and kids, depression uh, shows as more anger than just sadness. So that could be something you're feeling. When it came to the move, did you have much of a say in moving, or was it kind of out of your control and not something you wanted? Uh, No,
5: I didn't have much of a say at all. I wasn't
0: yeah so were you not happy with the fact that you guys moved
5: i mean i understand that we had to and it was for financial reasons mm-hmm. i wasn't exactly like uh,
0: i see okay yeah so you weren't very were very happy with that moving and that could also some of the anger could be there too angry with your parents that you had to move and angry with the situation along with everything that you're dealing with now look we've got to a commercial break and i want to talk to you some more about what's going on so hang on the line and we'll talk after a few minutes of commercials okay
2: all right that sounds great
0: all right thank you you're listening to in session with dr fatty talakwi we'll be right back Back before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to him. Caller, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. All right. So before the break, you were talking about how um, your mom wanted you to call and was worried about your mental health and how you were doing. You're less concerned, but you realize that some of what she was saying, like things such as being depressed, you've noticed in yourself as well, especially since you guys moved to a new town a few months ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when you talk about, you mentioned being angry, how else would you see that you are or say that you're feeling depressed? What else might be some of those signs?
5: Um, uh, so i I've never been confident, but it's just been more like, more apparent. Like I'm not as willing to try something new, especially
0: mm-hmm. this area. Okay. Um, what about things like your sleep? Have you noticed change in your sleep?
5: Uh, not really, not not too much.
0: Okay, what about in your appetite or weight?
5: I have stayed around the same for the most part. Okay, uh, to be honest, I don't feel as though um, you know everyone gets sad sometimes, but you know I, I think I'm just adjusting to a new place. Okay,
0: yeah, and adjustments are are difficult. Even you know, uh, you know, I mentioned I don't talk too much about diagnosis, but we also there's something called adjustment disorder. Which is when people go through a change, and they can, you know, the feelings you can have related to that, um, adjusting to something new. Sometimes that that's that could be what you're dealing with. It might not be a full-fledged depression. Now, your mom seems worried. She said things like you should see a therapist or you should do something about it.
5: Yeah, she's been really concerned, and uh, she just came and She uh, wanted me to let you know that uh, she's really concerned about me playing things like video games and. Uh, she's worried about what they're doing to my brain.
0: What what the video games are doing to your brain? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, and uh, I actually didn't ask you if you have any siblings.
5: Oh no, I don't have
0: any. Siblings. Okay, so you get all of your mom's worries get to come to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So the video games, she's worried about them. Let me ask you, how, how do you think you play an okay amount?
5: Uh, no, I think I play a lot.
0: Okay, so you think you play too much? Uh,
5: not too much, it's just like, um, it's kind of like, not what I base my life around, but what I have a lot of, like my friends, what I talk about, it's a lot about video games.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, which doesn't have to all be bad, depends on h- how much you're playing. So on a typical weekday, how much do you play, like on a school day?
5: On a school day? Usually around... Uh, one to two hours.
0: Okay. And then what about on the weekends?
5: On the weekends, it's usually a lot more like uh, four to five.
0: Mm hmm. Okay. And are these like first person shooter games or what type of games do you play?
5: Uh, usually a lot of different types, mostly like strategy and um, games where you just have to, yeah, just strategy games okay. like cards and things like that.
0: Yeah. Now, like most things, video games by themselves are not bad. Um, So if you're playing video games, I don't think that's bad. It depends on the amount and how it's affecting your life. Because we know that video games can be like a drug um, where we can get addicted to it. And, you know, especially since you move to somewhere new, for example, a concern I would have is that you turn to video games because you maybe are having a harder time socially and you don't invest time in trying to make new friends. And then you get even more sucked into playing the video games and makes the process a little bit harder have you experienced any of that since you moved? that you're playing more
5: um yeah I feel like I use games more like in a, as an escape mm-hmm. for uh, you know because I don't have much to do it's more like just turn to video games what I'm familiar with mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. right and, um, yeah yeah and so and to a, you know having an escape to a degree is okay if it's in small doses we just want to make sure it's not um, becoming too much. You know, people watch a movie sometimes as an escape or watch TV, but if yeah. you watch, you know, 10 hours straight of TV, that's a problem. But if you watch, you know, an hour before you go to sleep, there's nothing really wrong with that. Um, so that's what we want to look at. So the video games, I'm sure you and your mom see them very differently. She probably sees it as, and uh, maybe not, but she might see it as an all bad thing, like you should shouldn't be playing it at all. Um, but I'm okay with you playing a little bit, but we have to look at the limits of it and also yeah. make sure... Um, it's not interfering with other things. How are you able to do as far as schoolwork goes?
5: Uh, when I first moved, my schoolwork was pretty bad.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, the next semester, I really uh, really passed things up and made things a lot better. So uh, right now, it's a lot better than it was before.
0: Okay. Are you taking summer school when you say right now?
5: Uh, no, I meant like uh, my. I'm not taking summer school. Okay. Then. But yeah. by the
0: end of the semester, like end of the school year, you were doing much better.
5: Much better, yeah. Okay,
0: good. And then uh, how are you doing socially? Uh,
5: socially, not too well. Okay. Uh, things have been not just boring. Not much, not much exciting has happened. It's just, you know, been the same every day.
0: Okay. Were you able to make any friends at school?
5: Uh, not really. You know, I was friendly with people and people were friendly with me, but. You know, I never moved on to anything else.
0: So were there there wasn't anyone like you would spend time with outside of school, from school?
5: No, not at all.
0: Okay. That that I'm sure that was that's made things pretty tough, especially I'm um, the way I'm hearing it, the summer could be pretty lonely then.
5: Uh yeah, we actually just um an education we just went back to my old town and I got to see some old friends and that was nice, but you know,
0: coming back has been strange. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it was nice to see see your old friends, but tough, yeah, to come back to your new home where it seems like, you know, that's been harder um, to do. You know, so I, I'd worry about that part. Making friends is tough, but I can see how maybe your mom is concerned because she sees that your social life is pretty limited where you are now.
5: Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. She's yeah.
5: really concerned about
0: the video game aspect, though. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, like you said, even... But the video games, you could even bond over with people over the video games, potentially. Now, if you were escaping to it too much, that might make it harder to make friends. But if, you know, people bond over interests, and you could be interested in video games. Um, but it doesn't seem like you had something going on, and instead you went and played video games. It seemed like you felt like you didn't have much, and you went. The video games was your comfort zone. Uh, yeah, kind of. Most
5: of the people I was friendly with, uh, we shared interests. Mm-hmm. And that was something really nice to talk about, um, because something we're both familiar with. Mm-hmm. However, as the summer came, it's been you know I haven't seen these people, and it's like well, yeah, not much to do now.
0: Yeah. Uh, now, in general, is do you feel like it's hard for you to make friends?
5: Um. Uh, yeah. I generally feel like I'm not that confident, especially when I'm talking to people.
0: Okay. Yeah, so I think, I, you know, I can get your mom's concern, and I'd be a little bit concerned for you, just, I mean, it feels like, rather than putting a label on it, I could just see how it's been a pretty tough couple of months for you.
5: Well, I guess, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, like you said, it can be expected that you're not going to feel very good, Um, but I would hope that, you know, something can change, especially when it comes to socially, because, you know, you're going to definitely need to have friends, and I know you probably want that, um, but... Especially with the new school year starting, I'm hoping you can can make some friends. Are you going into the junior your junior year or sophomore year? It's uh,
5: my junior year. Junior, actually. Year. okay.
0: Um, do you feel? How do you feel about starting school again?
5: Um, I feel I feel like since I'm, I went there last year, I feel like I'll be better. I'll be more familiar with the place. And mm-hmm. however, I am kind of nervous that you know. So just like last year, nothing new will happen. and Yeah. That's what I'm most
0: concerned about. That, I could understand that. I would expect you to be a little bit nervous about school starting again, but it might be easier because you have been there. Now, you know, you're saying, I'm afraid the same thing is going to happen again. But what we know is that unless we do something different, we can't really expect something different to happen. Yeah, exactly. So what do you think you could do differently with the start of the new school year than what you have done before that might make things a little different.
5: Well, uh, maybe I could, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe I
0: could just talk more and, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I think of talking more and trying to interact more. Um, of course, I know that's easier said than done, um, even whatever we talk about, but, um, you know, it's not always the case, but sometimes children who are the only child in a family, socially they can have a slightly harder time than other kids because they haven't had that interaction with kids in around their age, like a sibling, to get to kind of um, try things out with. And so maybe when it comes to making new friends, you're at a slight disadvantage and it seems like you think it's a little bit harder for you than most people. And moving to a new city in the middle of a school year in high school is pretty tough. You know, people have their cliques and their friends and they know each other. And then when you're the new kid, it can be a pretty difficult experience. So it seems like you had to go through some of that, the cliche stuff that we see in a lot of movies or TV shows, but it's cliche because it's true. It's not easy to come to a new school and, and try to make friends. But I would say that you have to be ready to try something different and put yourself in some uncomfortable situations to make some friends because yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not just going to happen on accident. You know, people usually don't just magically become friends. We hope it's going to be that way, but we have to put some effort. And it's not that I i think you're severely depressed and, you know, I'm going to put that label on you, but I would consider talking to someone about it, seeing a therapist to talk about what you're going through and also maybe to help you with, I think there's some self-esteem issues that you're dealing with that make it hard for you to... Um, initiate conversations or try to create friendships and that's definitely holding you back and I think it's hurting you. Right. Have you thought about that before?
5: Uh Yeah, definitely, I've definitely thought about that. My, like, Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. I so you, you agree with What that, are you yeah. thinking about that now, about seeing a therapist?
5: Uh, yeah, my family really wanted me, really want me to see, see a therapist and um, I don't know if I'm fully sold on the idea. Okay feel like it's kind of strange talking
0: to a therapist about something Mm -hmm. that you know I don't feel like it's super important well it you know by super important maybe I think part of what you're saying is like it's not super serious like we're not talking about some kind of huge tragedy or disaster but to me it is serious that my guess is you haven't been feeling so good and I take that seriously not because the way you're feeling is so horrible or really bad, but that it doesn't seem like it's been feeling good for you. And I would hope you go to someone and talk and you know you didn't really know me and we started talking and we didn't probably we not we didn't get as deep as you would in a therapy session, but still there is, you know, something to be said that you were able to talk to me. So I think it might be uncomfortable or difficult. A previous caller today has similar concerns. It's something that most people have when it comes to entering therapy, it's like, I'm going to go talk to a stranger about my life and get, you know, everything personal. It could feel a little bit weird, but you don't tell them everything at once. You meet with them, you get comfortable with them, and then you you talk about more and more things. But it's something worth thinking about. Um, I think the problem is sometimes when parents tell us we need to go to therapy, it makes us feel like we're the problem or something's wrong with us. And we didn't get to talk about everything, but I'm sure there's a lot about your family and things your parents have done that maybe hasn't helped your situation either. So it's not just all on you. So it's not fair to blame you. But when I talk about therapy, it's more about, I think it's something that you deserve because it could help you, not because you need it because something's wrong with you, if that makes sense. All right. Yeah. So um, so think about it some more. I hope you'll do that. And whether you do or not, like I said, we have to always remember that if we want to see different results, we have to do different things. So it's going to require from you to probably take some risks and break out of your comfort zone to make some friends this year. And it's easier said than done. I know that, but I, I hope you'll do that and wish you luck with that. And you can call back anytime.
5: All right. Thank you.
0: All right. Nice talking. You take care.
5: You too. All right.
0: Bye-bye. All right. We've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and listeners out there. And thank you to Farhude who was in the studio with me today. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Olaqui. Have a wonderful day. back.